Oh, I need to burp. <coughs> <laughs> Could you hear that? Oh yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> well, fuck. That's gonna end up with a spank bank. Whatever. God damn it. <laughs> Friends and listeners, thank you for joining us and welcome to episode three of Instant Chatification, the podcast about creating better connections in our lives. I'm Lisa, I'll be your catalyst slash host, and joining me is my co-host, producer, slash social submissive, Tony. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm trying to figure out how to wean myself from wrestling, Oh, (laughs) but it's not really working. My addictive personality is bad with this thing, so... We'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, that sounds like something nobody should have to do. I think you should just keep on with the wrestling. Why not? Oh, uh, it interferes. It, it uh. It's getting to be too much. There's a lot that I want to catch up on that I refuse to catch up on because I have to watch seven hours of wrestling every week. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't even watch that much porn. That's a lot. You should probably just half it at least. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried. I've tried a couple of times and they, they get me back, but yeah, I get it. We'll see. I get it. We'll see. Uh, Tony, do you want to tell people where they can reach out to us? I do. I do. Uh, you guys, you listeners, you friends, you can find us on Twitter if you want. We're at Instant Chat Cast. You can also email us if it's long form. Uh, send it on over to instantchatification at gmail.com and we will read and review and talk about whatever you want to talk about because we're open. We're open to suggestions. We like user feedback. I love user feedback. Feedback is a gift, always. Actually, and there, we've had a little bit on the Twitter, and it's been really nice. Uh, big shout out to everybody who's been listening to us. Um, there are a few regulars, and I just want to say, like, so much gratitude and thank you for letting us know you listen thank you for retweeting us and uh really you know if you guys are tuning in all the time and you have something you want us to talk about first choice baby you get to go to the Mm -hmm. top of the pile so take advantage of it why not Okay, what's on deck today? Uh, we had a plan to discuss men's issues today, and I'm going to actually table that for the next podcast because this became very, very very long. And while we love to be in your ears, we don't want to take up all your time and we want to keep this to be digestible. So uh, we are going today uh, to uh, do some raid and spanking. And we're going to talk about uh, new relationship energy versus established relationship energy, and kind of how to navigate that and recognize it. Sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, before we get into all that, though, I, I have some things that popped up. In recent times, I want to talk about them. I'm leaning in. Tell me. Yeah. So one of the hot topics you kind of hear, especially if you follow like political stuff, there's a lot of talk about cancel culture. Yes. And if anybody's unfamiliar, it's, it's the thing where, you know, now on social media, you can dig up somebody's past or, you know, whatever, and find something that they did bad 
And then the normal response is if somebody has something like a skeleton in their closet or whatever, then they get fired from their current job or are kept from getting new jobs or whatever you might want to call it. You effectively cancel their ability to do what they do. Uh, I have some mixed feelings on it on the whole because I've seen it used in a good way against people who deserve that kind of thing. And I've also seen it used in real shitty ways against people who don't deserve that kind of thing. But the one, the one recent one that sparked my thoughts about it was just this last, I guess it would have been last Sunday as of now. Mm. Um, during, during the Grammys, uh, I don't know if any of the listeners are familiar with comedian Bill Burr. I think he's hilarious. I think he does say some stuff that is targeted controversial to get people to like to respond or you know like up i wouldn't say he he tries to upset people but he knows it's going to and he thinks that's funny (laughs) but he doesn't do it in a hurt he doesn't do it in a hurtful way i don't think he's really out to hurt anybody's feelings i just think he points out the absurdity of these situations anyway uh so he was hired by the grammys to announce some winners of awards in the Latin music categories. He started off his segment because they must have had like a piano performance or something beforehand. I didn't see. But he started his segment by asking the question, anybody else want to kill themselves after that piano solo? And I don't know if that's a joke I would make. Because I know I've learned through friends and through other things that you don't really want to joke about that kind of thing. But other than that, he was going along fine. And when he started to do the awards, he made a comment. um, He said something about how many white feminists right now are looking at me and saying, why didn't they get a Latin man to do these awards? And he kind of chuckled about the absurdity of, I guess, getting mad about that. And then, of course, on social media, everybody jumped on his case and said that he was being racist by making that joke. And I didn't see it that way. I saw it as him making a joke about the people who would react that way. And lo and behold, they reacted that way. And I also know that, you know, I listened to his podcast for a couple of years and I watched some of his comedy specials and stuff. I feel like I can say that he's not actively hurtfully racist. No, he doesn't seem to be at all. He also, I mean... Not to say that this discounts certain people who would do this kind of thing, but he's married to a black woman, a strong black woman, and she don't take his shit. He's <laughs> She's been on his podcast a lot, and when he says stuff that's, you know, borderline on the racist side, she will call out his fucking shit. And most of the time he respects that, and he's, you know, he'll either apologize to her about having that view, or he'll, you know they have a dynamic that they understand with each other and they usually come to a solution about it. So I know that he means well, and I know that he wasn't intending to be racist toward anybody. I think he was just making a joke about the people who are performatively, uh, quote unquote woke and would get mad at him for announcing Latin music categories. And there was this, you know, that night there was a huge Twitter blow up about it. 
And then it kind of went away. I didn't hear anything else about it. So it's just one of those like off the cuff things that happened. And then nobody cared to follow up on it because probably because a lot of people were like, uh, this is his wife and she calls him out on his shit too. Like you don't need to be the policeman. Yeah. She's got this. She's got it. She's got him in hand. She's already dealt with him and it's not a problem. (laughs) Right. And I know they've been married for like at least somewhere around 10 years, something like that. It's been a while. Okay, I actually want to kind of talk about that for a minute because here, here's the situation I end up in. So I chair a committee for a, a big firm on diversity and inclusion, and I appear to be a normal white woman. Just, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't know me, what the fuck is this cat doing in front of this committee? <laughs> So I almost, this almost resonates with me where I feel like sometimes people probably think we're talking about racism and we're talking about this, that, and the other. Why is this blonde haired white woman in front of my face? And they don't know that I'm bi. They don't know that I'm ethically non-monogamous. And they also don't know that I'm not all white because I look very white. I reflect the sun. <laughs> you know, and when, when I've told people about what I go through and then I tell them, you know, like, like I am actually, um, biracial, uh, it actually makes people kind of go, Oh my God, I had all these thoughts about you. And now I actually see that you're like, it's more interesting and you're more complex than what the assumptions that I'd made. And I I think that's a great teaching moment. I really love that teaching moment. And, you know, I'm sure he was thinking the same thing. Like I'm here and I'm introducing this and there's a piece of it to him that probably felt uncomfortable as I do in those situations and he's a comedian so what did he do he made a joke about it yeah yeah because that's what comedians do as, <laughs> this is yeah, uncomfortable especially... we should talk about it and put it right out in the open and because really seriously why would you put Bill Burr in front of the Latin music right. category you put However... a white a bald <laughs> formerly red haired bald white man in front of a microphone to talk about best latin artist or like that seems like a bad decision on the grammy's part not his part i totally agree i actually was just thinking that i love like if somebody's going to talk about r&b i want to hear an artist coming out to introduce that topic that has some roots because it gives credibility so i totally think like like somebody who has roots i'm not saying that they can't be white you could have roots in Latin music and, and, and be white. Like it is possible, similar to my situation. But I just think the credibility should be that that person speaking about that thing. It would be great if they had some background in it and, 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 and it was more about, Hey, here I am. Let's talk about this. You know me from this because I've been associated with it. And now let's highlight, you know, these great artists. That's a different conversation. But when, when you're Bill Bird, you're like, <laughs> fuck if i hear <laughs> and i can understand like covid's weird and it's made tv weird and it's made award ceremonies weird so he's standing in a room with just like a camera crew and some lighting guys and he's yeah. trying to make them laugh because that's what he's comfortable with in a comedy yeah. setting is like i need to make people laugh so of course he's gonna make a joke about like how he felt at the at that situation and i'm sure the first thing he thought of was like now i have to read 
the Latin Music Awards, and I bet there's a lot of people who are going to think, well, what the fuck is this redheaded, bald white dude doing out here for the Latin Music Awards? So like you said, yeah, he makes a joke to get the laughter because the laughter makes him feel comfortable about it. Of course. And I mean, and, and comedians, that's how they're built. They're like, if something seems weird and, and, and wrong or awkward, they're going to exploit the fuck out of that. So I just think like, you know, and honestly, was that really such a horrible thing that he said? Like, I don't think it's racist. I think it's actually just calling out the, why am I here moment? In fact, it almost could be construed as, anti-racist because he's like yeah, it exactly. should have been somebody else here so i thought that was so interesting i think that's the point he was trying to make is like yeah hey this isn't me saying i want to read these awards but they hired me to do it and people are probably going to be upset and i'm going to point out how silly that might be and then those people got upset the people yeah. that he was actually joking about got upset yeah. So it's kind of like, well, not everybody, just some people who were maybe a little extra sensitive. I do think, though, it, in the defense of, you know, some of these people, it, we've seen some really crazy shit from some comedians and some people that I sort of looked up to in a way. And uh, they were probably mm-hmm. putting him. I love Bill Burr. Like, I love him. I think he's adorable. He's cocky. He's obnoxious. But I do believe, like you do, that he genuinely seems to, he has that kernel of, of wholesomeness. And, and he is the first one that'll say, Oh, fuck. Yeah. Where was I coming from? That was fucked up. Like, why did I do that? Like, right, he, right. he literally, legitimately, I've seen him say that he will own his shit. But then there's, you know, other, other comedians who haven't. And I think sometimes people all of a sudden they hear something about a comedian and they jump on it thinking this is going to be one of those guys again. And yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. Bill Burr's not that guy. He's just not that guy. That's my overall thing about how cancel culture works is that Mm -hmm. a lot of times not everybody has the full context. Not everybody knows Bill Burr is married to a strong black woman who calls him out on his shit when he gets like that. Not everybody knows what might be happening in somebody's personal life when they do a thing or, you know, maybe they're too young and they just don't realize they're doing something dumb. And then, you know, 15, 20, 30 years later, all of a sudden somebody says, oh, well, back in 1998, you made a homophobic statement somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, you do something dumb in your past and sometimes you feel bad for it right away and that haunts you forever. And sometimes you don't think about it because in the time, nobody says anything and and you don't even call yourself out on it because that's just kind of how things were and then 30 years later you lose your job because somebody doesn't like it now like that seems a little weird to me especially if that person hasn't had a history of being like that all the time in between well this is the thing and i, I i've talked about this before like I love a redemption story. If we can't grow and learn and become better, what's the motivation to grow, learn and become better? So when we have, you know, somebody who's being called up for something they did 20 years ago, like I think, yeah, like they need to stand up and take some accountability for that. But if since then they've done a whole bunch of other things that show they grew, we also need to acknowledge that. So I think like, canceling somebody just because of something 20 years ago, if they continued that horrible behavior, yeah, yeah, 
bye. Like, and it's not because mm-hmm. it was 20 years ago. It's actually because you're still that fucking cad today or that, that salty bitch, whatever. And right, I, right. I still, I feel like that's where, um, so if you look at social media users and you're looking at people that really love to polarize and social media, that's what the algorithms do. They want us to be polarized. So we're sucked into their mm-hmm, vortex mm-hmm. of garbage. So I feel like really the, the people need to be better. You need to know that, you know, these algorithms are trying to suck you in. So they want you to be polarized and you have to actually get out of your caveman brain and be the human you want to be and really think about it intentionally. Like what, what is this conversation? What do I think about it? Like don't let other people's opinions sway how you are seeing it. Really look at it and, and make an opinion and then share that out into the universe. You don't need to just be an echo chamber. You could be bigger than that. That's another rant for me is how like a lot of times I don't even see these kind of things. But yeah. this is one of those things where I saw Bill Burr's name in the trending topics. And I was like, oh, I like Bill Burr. Let's see what's going on. And then there's a row of tweets about how racist he is. And I'm like, uh, the fuck? And then yeah, like, I, you know, I, I investigate it. And and that's nope. the thing with social media is like they are shoving all of that shit in our faces to get us to respond in a polarizing way. So that people keep using the service, it'll get eyeballs in front of your ads and the ads will bring in the revenue and then everybody's happy because we're all rich now. It's all about them clicks, yo. And it's like, I got to the point the other day where it's like, I don't want to see the trending topics list at all when I go to Twitter because... I don't want to fucking have to care about it. I actually don't look at it. I really very rarely look at it unless I'm completely bored out of my tree. But typically, if I do that, then I'll just post some thirsty picture. And then, you know, that's that. So <laughs> I don't look at the trading topics <laughs> very often. I just go there to create some energy and make some fun. I think that really, if you're on Twitter, I actually have this one person that I follow. And she's in California. She's like an old gamer friend. Uh, Andy and I adore her. Um, and, and, you know, she just doesn't give two shits. She's just out there doing her thing, having her fun, living her best life. And she can't get emotionally engaged with all these people and all their stuff. And I am like, Oh, I adore her. Like, she's so, so cool. <laughs> and I feel the same way. Like, I rarely get emotionally engaged in anything anymore on Twitter because I just don't give a rat's ass about it. And I also feel like if people don't like what I'm doing, they can unfollow. If it's too hot and too spicy, that's fine. You can either stay for my political rants and, and my more, you know, cerebral treat tweets, sorry, or you could, you know and ignore the thirsty pictures or whatever. But you know what? Like I'm empowered and I'm not just empowered on what level I'm empowered in all aspects of my life and I'm living my best life and I'm not living it for other people's approval. So that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, that kind of is a segue into what I want to rant about. Oh, so, Ooh. Oh, so a mad. spicy one. Oh, it's spicy. I, I always say I'm going to not swear so much on this podcast. And then I, get salty and I probably will swear a little bit in here because I'm a little angry. So I really feel like for me, uh, there, we've been having all these chats about anti-racism and really trying to understand the shoes somebody else walks in. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Then there's other diversity and inclusion sort of topics, uh, things like sex work, things like that. 
misogyny. Um, how much we live in a, in a society that men have influenced our thoughts and feelings and, and considerations so much that, you know, there's not space for other people that are not like a straight white man. So, you know, like we need to kind of be able to flex out of those thoughts and be able to, to kind of look at things on a broader scale, but we have to consider where people are coming from and who their audience is. So what happened to me also related to the Grammys is, Mm -hmm. um, I saw people talking about Cardi B and talking about her as a hoe. And I wanted to throat punch a bunch of people that I actually typically have respect for, because I just thought the way that they were speaking about her was through the lens of a white woman who grew up in privilege. So I'm like, I don't know a lot about Cardi B. But I'm guessing she, she definitely grew up in a very different experience than I have. And you know, if she wants to like, pump her butt full of full fillers, and you know, have her ass shaking, I'm like, get yours, girl, <laughs> whatever, you know, right. get, get your money, get your attention, get your fucking awards, like you do what you need to do. She has figured out her marketing program. And she's fucking smart. She is a smarter woman than I am. And she has it all figured out. And if she wants to, you know, say, this is how I'm going to do it. Like I, it's not my program. I'm okay with it. But what I saw happen this week is then there was the Pepe Le Pew (laughs) cancel culture going on. And people got into a absolute riot over Pepe Le Pew being canceled. And first of all, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I have a hard time looking at really old Looney Tunes types type cartoons, because they are often very misogynistic and fucking rapey. And that mm-hmm. that fucking skunk was rapey. So, you know, if people are like, that was good times and I loved it. I'm like, okay, well, then don't fucking try and cancel Bill Burr. Shut the fuck up. Sit down. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Um, I just think like, if you're gonna give space for one thing, you have to give space for all of it. Right, right. And I, I feel like, honestly, like, we can say cartoons were a largely male, white male dominated industry back then. And that's what the artists looked like. And that's where they came from. Those were the voices that were being portrayed. So I feel like, you know what, Peppy the Pew, he could probably have some growth, you know, like that was what, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Maybe they need to, uh, what do you call it? Like relaunch him. <laughs> Maybe we need to see see a new version of Pepe Le Pew, one where he's more considerate and he's more like Bill Burr and he calls himself out on his fucking actions. <laughs> I was confused when I first heard about the outrage regarding Pepe Le Pew because I'm like, did they make new Pepe Le Pew in the last 40 years? Like, I don't yeah, why remember is it anything. Coming up? Yeah. I don't remember anything new coming out since I was like seven or eight. And those cartoons were old when I watched them. And also, you know, it's been 30, 40 years. That is a product of its time because that's how these things work. Culture shifts. Paradigms shift. Now you could not make the Pepe Le Pew of old and get away with it. So why are we mad about it now? Like, <laughs> how is it even getting in people's faces? I, I was just kind of flabbergasted by that altogether. But oh, so strange. Also, yeah, like you, like you said, to compare it to something completely different, like Cardi B and what she does as a as an artist, that's not the same. 
<laughs> no, so it wasn't even relatable. And they were trying to talk about that. And then I saw them saying in, in contrasting, like in one post, like saying, like, we're going to get rid of this. And yet there's Cardi B winning all these awards. And then I saw people saying discrediting her and saying that she's not even an artist. And then they were bringing in Megan the Stallion too. And like, I was just like, are you kidding me? These women are top of their class. They are amazing, talented artists. And not only that, they have their brand figured out. And if ass shaking what's going to sell, then they're fucking they're selling what's going to sell. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're not artists. It was okay in the mid to late 90s for R&B groups to bring ass shaking women in their videos and write songs like Do Me or Rump Shaker. That was all f- well and good at the time. But now in 2020, we can't have women doing that for themselves. Like, yeah. that's somehow different and worse. What the fuck? Yeah. So, <laughs> like, like let's talk about your internalized misogyny, ladies. Let's really talk about that. And, and men, too. Like, let's really talk about this. These women are artists. And just because you don't like what they're doing or how they're doing it or their values, it doesn't cancel out that they are artists. And misogyny means that if you're judging women for talking about their pussy, liking sex or sex work, like you are portraying misogyny. Right. And your empowerment is not necessarily another woman's empowerment. You do you boo and let her do her too. How empowered are you? How fucking empowered are you if a woman talking about her pussy makes you uncomfortable? Really think about that. Right. Because at that point, you're letting somebody else control how you feel about yourself. Yeah. In a way. And it's like, just do your thing. Don't worry about other people doing their thing. As long as nobody's getting hurt, we're all good. And I mean, I think opinions are okay. But if you're like, I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody can judge me, then don't judge other people for doing what they're going to do. I think it's really just about being open minded, letting people express themselves in the way, especially artists like do your art. Um, I, I really don't have a problem with it. if it's not breaking laws. I don't have a problem with it. And there's no mm-hmm. law against twerking. Thank fucking God. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Call me Megan. Let's talk about our next topic. So I really wanted to talk a little bit about uh, new relationship energy versus established relationship energy. I have had a recent breakup. And it's really had me look at a bunch of my behaviors within it. And I, I had to like call myself out, I saw some behaviors I did that I am not okay with, and I am going to be taking with me into future relationships. Um, so I had, uh, looked up a post that I saw. um, First of all, in the poly groups, we are always about analyzing relationships, because 
were either starting five and in five and ending two. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's all about relationships. But you grow so much. Some of us are trying to make it to five. Oh, you mono people. <laughs> you just don't know. Um, no, seriously. So you're taught, you just, this is a constant, a communication is, is really key. And we talk about topics all the time. So, um, New relationship energy is really known as like that honeymoon phase of a relationship. And sometimes it's the first six months, but it can last all the way up to a year. Uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of people that kind of were kind of walked out of 12 months and went like, I was in a fog. And yeah, you were, you were in a hormonal fog of happy brain chemicals that, uh, let you think with your dick or your pussy or whatever was going on and you were not making rational decisions <laughs> all the time. So I think, you know, it's really about that honeymoon phase and it's a thrilling, really amazing experience. I think like sometimes people get very addicted to new relationship energy and then once it dies off, they're like, okay, I'm done. And I actually see that on some dating sites by those people people that are really looking for more of that casual experience. So if you love new relationship energy, I think an ethical way to go into relationships is just to say, I'd like something casual. I really enjoy the first part of relationships. Let's just, you know, have this experience together until we decide that we're not in. But you have to really let people know if that's what you're about. Because otherwise, you know, mm. you meet up with somebody who's looking for that, you know, 10 year relationship, and you're like, I'm the six month girl, then that's or, not, not not fair. Or maybe you're someone like me, who's like, how do I want to put this? I feel like I like the new relationship energy. I want to be good at the long term, but I don't feel like I am. So like, if I date someone new, I should probably let them know, like, sometimes I get, I, I stay in that new relationship phase, brain fog, and it's hard for me to see where this should evolve. Yeah, so fair. So I just want that person to know, like, it might be a struggle for me later on. I will try my best, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. just be wary that I might struggle when it comes to, like, month eight or whatever. Okay, that's totally fair. And I think, you know, in the, in the context of this being, uh, you know, the topic where we talk about how to build great connections, having those conversations up front is a fantastic idea. Talking about, hey, in my past, I found like, this is how I am in relationships. And how are you? Okay, well, let's talk about what that could look like together. And then, plan to have check-ins. So what I do with every relationship is when we start dating, I put that in my calendar and then I put it as a one month reminder. And although that's like the anniversary, what I'm actually doing is that's my check-in point. Hey, how are things going for us? How are you feeling? I don't tell them I'm checking in, but you could tell them. You could just be like very, hey, I would like to, you know, have an hour. We just check in with each other and see how things are going. In fact, I think that'd be crazy sexy. So if you're dating me, do that. That's really cool. Anyway, uh, NRE. So let's really talk about it for a minute. So that's like where you're feeling like super euphoric, you're really keen, maybe you're thinking about that person all the time, you're distracted at work, but it can be also really overwhelming. Because you have all these emotions and feelings and things are just going crazy. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. It influences you heavily. You might be like, I really have to do this thing that I'm obligated to do. And instead, I want to go hang out with so-and-so <laughs> because you're so <laughs> into them. It's all the happy brain chemicals you can handle 
and then more. I think that, you know, one of the, one of the things about NRE or new relationship energy that I see as being an issue is it can really lead to that poor judgment. Uh, you have really unstable patterns because you're being motivated by your happy brain chemicals and it can be volatile and complex, especially when you actually know the person a little bit more and you're a little more emotionally, um, involved with them. Uh, there can be a lot of highs and lows that start to, to come out. One of the things that I, I've really noticed that I do is I overlook like major personality flaws and incompatibility and I make allowances for it. And I'm a fairly joyful person. I'm always looking to collaborate and try to get to the happy place to get to the positive place. And instead, I really need to stop and reset boundaries and, and really think about where I want to go and what my goal and what my vision is. And does this align? And do I want to realign with this person? Because does it take me too far off my path? Um, I, I think also in ethical non-monogamy, I will say that when you are just over the moon about a new partner, it really can trigger jealousy or neglect, as mm -hmm. has happened to poor Andy, uh, of our more established relationships. So I think, you know, really recognizing that you're in the NRE and talking about how it's impacting you with both your current partner and established partners is really important. And I think opening the door and saying, hey, I think, you know, I'm really in this NRE phase. Like, are you being affected by it? And how, how are you being affected by it? And what, what could help with that? And having that conversation is, is, is essential. ERE, established relationship energy in contrast is that thing that a lot of us really want to get to. And I don't think we give it enough credit. I think you can get so addicted to NRE because you get addicted to the happy brain chemicals. But where I feel we create foundations in our lives is actually in ERE, those relationships. It's where you have the deep sense of comfort. You have very established patterns. You have stability, security. You know, when you fight, you're going to make up. You know how to respond to one another. It's a high degree of trust. There's way less hormonal influence. And I think that at that point, you really just have that kind of that slow, hot burn. And, and it's there. It's like that nice fire that keeps you roasty toasty that you can, you know, cuddle up to. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it really just makes you feel like your heart's full all the time when it's going well. What are your experiences, Tony? Talk to me about a little bit about your experiences with NRE and ERE. Uh, my ERE record is not great. Partially my fault, partially not. Uh, out of the two serious ones that I've had, I would say the first one was definitely my fault. I fucked that up. And the second one, I don't know. I don't want to blame the other person, but I also don't think I did anything too major to make that wonky. But who knows? What do you find your behaviors are when you're in that those states? Part of the problem for me is the NRE for me is like, I, I almost feel like I did it and then I just want to sit there. Like I don't want to move. I'm very much a person who likes comfort zones. Mm. I don't like to leave those. So it's like, Hey, we're in our new relationship. We're, we're having the time of our lives. We can sit down and you can watch TV while I play a video game and we'll sit next to each other. And it's all good. Cause we're cozy and we're next to each other and everything's great. And my brain says, 
this will last forever. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other person is like, let's do something else. And I'm kind of like, well, what else can we do? What's, you know, where do we change things? What sometimes I just don't see like what else is required in those situations. I think that was probably a thing that messed up my last major relationship. Sometimes I don't even recognize when that shift needs to be made because my brain says, you are comfortable. This is where we're at. I think, though, that also speaks to compatibility. So you can be in these relationships and then you the whole point of dating isn't to necessarily say we're going to be together 10 years from now, which is something I am a girl who it's not that I manifest my destiny, but I'm very goal oriented, very, very, very goal oriented person. So I'll be like, oh, we should buy a house together. Da, 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 da. Like I will in my brain be <laughs> way down the path. I The cart is way before the horse. And uh, I definitely did that in my last relationship. I really feel like we actually weren't as compatible as what I thought we were. And um, I, I really started to hold on to the goals more than I was really looking at the person and whether they were compatible for me. And you might get to a point where you're like, I love the complacency, the, the, the pattern, this consistency of our lives. And that's not a bad place to be if your partner is compatible with you and like minded. So I don't necessarily think you did anything wrong. I think you were with somebody who, uh, had some other focus and that incompatibility came clear. And I think people are really hard on themselves because Sometimes you don't really notice these things until four or five months into a relationship. And then you have to take that hard look about, is this really working? And can we align or should we align? Like, do I want to go the direction that this person wants me to go? And if if it's not, you just need to be good and walk away and like, really, I think leave each other in love. It's not a fault. It's a compatibility issue. And the fact that I think this is a very monogamy minded thing. The fact that people are like, we're going to get together and be together forever and ever. Like we do ourselves such a disservice because that's actually really not the reality of the situation. If we just said, let's go into this relationship. Let's see if we fit six months from now. We'll keep having check-ins along the way every month. And if we feel like we're still fitting six months from now, Let's think about the next six months and just kind of go that way. It builds some emotional uh, relationship resiliency into it where I feel people would actually do much better and have more intention in how they go about developing their relationships instead of putting all this pressure on one another to stay. And that's where I think in my last one, I really fucked up because I was so focused on the future. I put pressure on myself to stay and I shouldn't have. So I thought this was a great conversation. And I think it's something that's probably good for everybody to think about. And I would love to hear from people uh, what their experiences are with NRE or ERE learnings that they had. Um, and if you do share anything with me, let me know if you're comfortable with me talking about it, because I would love to do a little follow up on, on what people's impressions are on, on NRE and ERE. And I think just recognizing too, that when you're in NRE, you are not as in control as you think you are. Your brain chemicals are going bananas. And you you know, your sex drive will be different, like everything is going to be different. And six months to a year from now, things are going to normalize. 
are you still good for each other? And how have you built your relationship so that you can take that step back if you need to? So I think those are great conversations to have. Well, and part of that too is like, you know, compatibility. Yes. And also I feel like if, if you really want to make it last with a person, like you will take the steps to shift yourself to what you feel needs to be done in the relationship. So it's kind of like, what are you willing to adjust? Yeah. To, to keep a relationship on, you know, ongoing. Cause if you're not ready to do that, you should probably not be together. Yeah. And, and obviously like your compatibility with that person is going to drop because you're not meeting each other in a, in a way that keeps things afloat. Well, it's not authentic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not authentic. And if you're not going to be authentic, you're not going to make it. And I actually realized I was not being authentic. I wasn't being authentic and true to myself uh, or or my partner. And, you know, at some point, if we had have just kind of went, hey, we're not on the same path and we'd step back, we probably could have stayed friends, but it got just – it went way down a path that it shouldn't have. And, um yeah. We've just parted ways and that's how it is. And I wish them well. I always think like it's good to leave people in love. Nobody should leave a relationship destroyed or just be destructive. And, and yeah. that's not why we do. That's certainly not why I do polyamory. I think it's great experiences and grow. And I grew so much from this relationship and I, I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, and, and how I've grown as a person. Um, and especially even on the flip side of just looking back at myself, it actually is really amazing. So that's kind of a gift that people give us when they give us pieces of their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's really nice to have these opportunities and, and be able to have relationships and date. But I think, you know, making sure that you're not going to be destroyed when, you know, those, the NRE wears off is really important. And I thought that was a great connection topic for us to, to, to speak through. And, uh, yeah. Let's see if anybody has feedback for us. And hey, I look back, I studied this, I understand what NRE is now. And in looking at my last relationship, boom. <laughs> I think we, I think we might hear a little bit about that. Cause when I talk about NRE to people who don't understand it and what's happening in your brain, uh, I, I see a lot of people have the, oh my God. God moment. And it's really, it's really interesting. And that I just know it, it makes me feel good because I know as they move forward, they're going to have very different experiences because they're going to know what's happening at the brain level. And uh, I think that's pretty, pretty key. Now we're on to our Raiden Spank segment. So we used to do this a long time ago, uh, and and we loved it in our last podcast. So I wanted to talk today about Grammy Talk, Tony. I just watched the Grammys, um, traveled back in time, did not steal it off the internet, and it was fantastic. I actually really loved this way that they did the Grammys. So... Um, my impressions were like, at first I was like, how are they going to do this with COVID? So COVID Grammys actually, I thought were better than regular Grammys. Hmm. 
Yeah. I really liked, um, I really liked the host. He was very good and I thought quite funny and on point. And I really liked the way that he walked in and introduced all the musical acts and they were all sitting around in the, on the stage. And it was just the musical acts. There's nobody else there. And they were separated at least six feet apart. And when they, when they were performing, the camera would pan to the other musical acts who were watching somebody perform. And it was just really heartwarming to watch their reaction and see them grooving to like, the other person. I really loved it. Like there was a point where who's the guy Harry Styles uh, was, I don't know him very well. I feel like he wants to be Mick Jagger. And so I was really like, Oh, this is really <laughs> interesting. But then I don't, I'm sorry, don't hate me internet, but I don't feel he's that talented. He's not actually Mick Jagger. <laughs> but Billie Eilish, who I feel is like insanely talented, uh, she was watching him and just like, you could just see on her face like that she adores him. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. Like, I want to see more of this. Uh, so I really, really, really like that. And then when we got to like, so I've seen all this like hate on for Cardi B and then her and Megan the Stallion. Oh my goodness. Like they just blew everything out of the water. And I really like Megan the Stallion's uh, performance was fantastic. Then it went right into Cardi B and Cardi B's stage. It was like this stiletto heel and with a clear, <laughs> with a clear platform on it. And in there it was like a, money a girl trying to grab money like one of those money booths oh like one of those air chamber things yeah yeah it was so good (laughs) and then the stiletto on the shoe was like a stripper pole oh it was so amazing i was like how do these people like this was so on brand for her i just loved it i just thought it was amazing and then uh you go actually it's kind of surprising i didn't see this obviously um but it's surprising to hear that cbs let that go well like on network tv kind of a thing it gets so much better especially for a girl who loves making out with girls so then cardi b goes up these stairs and then there's like this fake big 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 bed she's kind of singing and rolling around on it so megan the stallion who please call me god if like that she's top of my list now like i don't care who else (laughs) if i could be like they were like you could have sex with her or never have sex again i would consider it she was so hot. Anyway, so then she comes back because they do the song, uh, their wet ass, wet ass pussy song together. So wop, wop, wop. She goes up the stairs. And she ends up kind of rolling around with Cardi B. And then they do this thing. I thought, they're going to scissor. Oh, my God. Like, I seriously <laughs> was about to just lose my shit. Andy and I were both watching it together. And we were like, oh, is this going to happen? And then they do this kind of cool move. And then uh, it was almost a wrestling move. I think you would actually like it because then she flips her. Holy shit. And I'm sure. And then they do like maybe one kind of almost bump together. And uh, I thought they probably were only allowed one pump because I think everything else would have spontaneously combusted <laughs> if they'd done anymore. <laughs> but it was so good. I just want to give uh, 10 out of 10, oh, 10. Jesus. to the Grammys. I I thought what they did, I was so freaking impressed. I was just absolutely, uh, I loved the quality of it all. I loved every act. Like, even if I didn't like the person performing, I just thought it was done so well. Um, 
And I thought they had a really nice variety as well. So, I mean, I didn't actually, uh, you know, I, I didn't actually know everybody <laughs> that I was watching because I'm old and I don't have TV. So, you know, some of these people are just like, if they don't play it on LL Cool J on Sirius and I don't listen to it on Spotify, I don't know some of these acts, but I actually got introduced to some new acts. So if you haven't seen it, um, I think, you know, it's worth, worth a look. And I think especially just for, Grammys and COVID times was pretty neat. Um, and I hope, you know, if you really have had uh, an aversion to Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion and you do watch it, um, that you can at least appreciate that they're bringing like their A game to the table. But oh, like the speeches. I, Billie Eilish was so adorable. So later on when she accepted her award and she did this speech to Megan the Stallion saying like, you deserve this. Um, she was adorable. What a sweetheart. I adore her. Uh, completely amazing. That I girl's just, really wise beyond her age. Holy she cow. She is. And her voice was amazing. Oh, I, what a talent. I heard a couple of her songs. I want to say like, probably right before 2020 started. That was kind of like my first exposure to her. Yeah. And at first I was kind of like, well, this is, you know, this is where pop is now. And, and I didn't really, I guess I didn't really see the talent that she had in those Mm. songs, Mm -hmm. but I saw like interviews and stuff. And I saw like how her and I think it's her brother, they co-write together a lot. And, like she did some like impromptu performing on those interviews and stuff like that. And, and like the more I see of her like creative process, mm-hmm. the more I recognize like where her talent lies. And it's really impressive. I might not be into that kind of music, but I can see where she deserves or has earned those, those awards and, and the recognition she gets. Yeah. I, I feel like she also is just a true artist. Like she understands what the craft that somebody else is putting into it, you know? And the fact that she could, like a Billie Eilish can look at a Megan Thee Stallion and be like, girl, you were on your game. Like you deserve this mm-hmm. award, like artist of the year, I think is what it was. Uh, I just thought, wow, like that somebody her age, like you wouldn't typically see that kind of, um, uh, emotional or intelligence, like to understand the depth of, of what somebody else has done, especially when their music is so different than yours. So I just thought she was amazing. And I thought that that was worth a, worth a view and definitely worth a, worth a chat and a spank. It was so good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I recommend it. Totally recommend it. And I, I think that it's really been kind of neat watching shows in COVID times and seeing people have to work around it and do things differently and it doesn't always go well but this was done well so i thought you know yeah other other uh shows should should look at how they how they did that um we should talk about next week's topic so we are going to get wait, to wait, the com- hold on oh oh sorry i want to make one addition to the grammy thing okay i care about one award and it's best metal performance and the person I wanted to win didn't win. So who did you want? To I was win? a little upset. Uh, so I, in, in my somehow ever growing quest of being a fan of metal with pop infused into it. Okay. Thank you, baby metal. Yes. Um, I got into Poppy and if you're not familiar with Poppy, she was, um, she started as a YouTuber 
who did these really kind of like avant-garde, some would say odd YouTubes of just like, it'd be like a monologue with some weird ambient tones behind it. And she would say like weird phrasings or just like recount some weird, it would just be like these weird speeches. She's got a video that I like to throw out every so often in response to people on like Twitter and stuff where it just, the camera is on her feet and then it pans up to her upper body and her face. And then she just looks at the camera and goes, you're racist. (laughs) That's it. Really? And I use that, I use that video quite often when I'm like responding to people being stupid on Twitter and whatnot. But there's also videos of her, like, there's there's one that I use for people where you can kind of see the top of her head, but not all of it. And then you can see, like, down to her, her like, collarbone. And all she does is she kind of looks off in the distance and she says, anything's possible on the internet. You can achieve whatever you want. And she, like, kind of repeats that in some form, like, two or three times. And then the camera, like, shoots to a shot where it's, like, her full body. And you see on the top of her head, she's got like two ponytail buns or whatever. They're at the top of her head, but one of them is covered with a like a party hat. Oh! And then when it shoots to that shot, the music gets real weird and quirky, and it's not—it's very dissonant and weird. But then all she does is she keeps looking at that same point off in the distance, and she just goes, "Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Happy birthday!" And she like does this for like. <laughs> 40 seconds and then the video ends. <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> um anyway, part of the story is that whole YouTube career was orchestrated by this other guy. He's like a producer, director, whatever. Mm-hmm. And she was dating him and when she started dating him, that's when the YouTube thing started and apparently he molded her to be like a former girlfriend of his that he tried to do that with. Mm. And she just got to this point where she was like, I don't want any more of this. Uh, she realized he was abusive and manipulative. And so she eventually parted ways with him. But near the end of that, like, so part of that too was like, she was having this pop music career in between all the YouTube stuff. Hmm. At the very end of the YouTube career, she essentially made a metal album and it's got some weird musical influences. Like my favorite songs on that album kind of go from like a metal section to a very pop section, to almost a Beach Boys kind of section in some spots. It's really odd. Wow, that sounds so interesting. It's a really weird mix, but I love the groove and I love like the the combination shifts and all that. And one of those songs, it's not one of the Beach Boy type songs. It's more of like an industrial, um, it's got guitar in it, but it's not really a guitar based song. It's more like I don't know how to describe it. The song's called Blood Money. Oh. And that was up for a Grammy and she didn't win. So I was upset. But long story short, very long story short, I think Poppy's great. She did a new song on the show before the ceremony. They had like a pre thing. She did a new song called Eat, which was all right. It's different from the last album, but that's. That's how it goes in the music business. You don't want every album to sound the same. No, that's true. And, I and think- it was still it was still pretty good. I liked it. It just it wasn't what I had become comfortable with. So right now I'm oh. kind of just like, it's okay. I don't hate <laughs> it, but it's not what it's not what I wanted. Yeah. But that's okay too. Like that's fine. Space for everyone at the table. I'm just excited for new poppy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. 
Let's talk about next week's topics. We'll get into the conversation around men's social issues in our next episode. Um, we have been really enjoying the interaction. Please send anything you'd like us to consider a topic, anything you want us to rate and spank, send it our way. Spicy, non-spicy. You can put it all in our, our, our Twitter feed or our, our DM box if you like. And um, yeah, that's that's about it for next week's topics. Tony, do you have anything that you'd like to say in closing? Uh, just kind of touching back on the cancel culture stuff i mean obviously there are people who deserve that i don't want people to think that we're all about like nobody should be canceled because we didn't really get into that side of things yeah but you know it's it's all about context it's all about intention and just make sure you fully understand where people are coming from before you make those judgments that's all that's kind of all i wanted to say about it in the first place I completely agree. Like, I think there's some people who've done some pretty hideous things. And I don't think necessarily that if they just, you know, make amends over the, the period after that, that excuses those things. Because I don't think it does. I think it's about taking accountability. And do I think somebody could do something so bad that I just wouldn't want nothing to do with them again after that? Yes. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Hitler, for example could not do anything to make me think he had redeemed himself and in in fairness there is some psychopathy and sociopathy that they really truly cannot redeem themselves they can't and they can only manage your perception that they have and those are things to consider as well mm-hmm. you have been listening to instant chatification episode three thanks for tuning into this week's bondage experience <laughs> thank you for tuning into this week's uh listening experience if you have enjoyed having us and want some additional interaction give us a follow on our various social media sites twitter at instant chatcast facebook facebook.com forward slash instant instant chatification oh my goodness i just i'm wrecking everything facebook.com forward slash instant chatification thank you tony for stepping in you can find lisa on twitter at chilibata i can't speak at all tony you just need to finish this off (laughs) lisa can be found on twitter at chilibata make sure you put two l's in there i have done it wrong before you can find me on Twitter at Boots underscore 33. That's pretty much my handle on all social media. So if you want to look elsewhere, that's where I'm at. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great week. Bye, everybody. Bye. No, I've totally blown this. I have to redo it. I'm so sorry. Bonding. Bonding. <laughs> I know. I was just like, what did he even say before? Oh, you're such a brat. If you were closer, I would spank you. But you're too far away. <laughs> okay. Don't threaten me with a good time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>